Do you watch the people in your organization and ever wonder why some of them are so engaged in their work and why others seem to just go through the motions? Or maybe you've experienced a just going through the motions season yourself. Part of the reason why is because you've lost some of your essential self and the opposite of your essence is ego. Don't worry though, you're still in there. You've been trained for years to act, talk, walk, and be a certain way, especially at work. The Enneagram Typology Tool can help you and your teams rediscover who they were before crappy workplace culture got a hold of them. If you want to change your culture through your people, this podcast is for you. We'll dive in deep on the Enneagram and we'll get way past just talking about numbers. Leaders will tell their stories of how the Enneagram has transformed them, both professionally and personally. You may have some level of self-awareness now, but let's turn it into self-wisdom and let's improve our ability to relate to people that move through the world in a different way than we do. If you know your core number or you are still exploring, this podcast is for you. Together, we can change our organizations and our world one person at a time. I am thrilled today to have Andrea Butcher as my guest on the podcast. She is just a real energy source in the world. And for those of you who have met her, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't met her, you're in for a real treat to get some insight from her around leadership and then also around her experience with the Enneagram. She is uh, the president of HRD, who is an HR solutions company that is really focused in on uh, maximizing talent. So she and I and our businesses both have kind of a similar thinking around really maximizing full potential and getting that next generation of leaders out into the world. Outside of that, Andrea is a mentor, a colleague, a friend. She is a real light in our world. And if you don't know her, you are in for a real treat. If you know her, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I am just thrilled to have her here. And I can't say enough about not only her accomplishments and the titles that she carries, but just the human being that she is. She may not look like the typical number because she's done a lot of work around the Enneagram and is very integrated and healthy in her number. So this is what this looks like. It's what the Enneagram's purpose really is to help us become more authentic versions of ourselves and to actually look a less like the type that we most identify with. Okay. Hey, Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rachel, how are you? I am good. I have been looking forward to this for (laughs) weeks. When I asked you and you said, yes, I was so excited. I think not only will you have a lot of knowledge from the Enneagram, but you just bring so many great leadership lessons. Whenever I hear you say something, or you post something on LinkedIn, it's like, bam, that, yes, mm. that's right. So I'm so excited to have you here. Well, I am a curator of other great leadership content and people like you. So yeah, it's, but, it, but it just brings me so much joy to share good content and encouragement because who doesn't need a little encouragement, especially right now? Absolutely. Yes. So, well, let's jump right in. I'm kind of curious about your experience with the Enneagram. I know I've shared with the listeners that I was a bit of a skeptic up front with this thing. It was just another tool, you know, in the, 
and the spaces that you and I work, there's so many assessments and so many yeah. ways for us to learn about ourselves and none of them are better or worse. It gives us information, but the Enneagram in particular, once I dove into it really just hit home for me and it made so much sense. And it really, yeah. I really felt like my internal world was now explained to me. I didn't even know my own internal world. Yeah, so it's just so yeah. fascinating to me. So I'd love to hear kind of how you got a hold of it, how long ago that was. And then if you would share with the listeners, which type you most identify with. Yeah. So I most identify as a seven. So I'm going to share this in a really energetic, upbeat, positive way. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so many, many years ago. So yeah, always being in leadership development and coaching, I've been exposed to a lot of tools and processes and models and assessments. And there was a coach that I had brought in to work with an executive and in an organization that I was leading in. And just in passing one day, as we were talking about different assessment tools, he mentioned the Enneagram and I'd never heard of it. So it was probably what, maybe seven or eight years ago. And so just being the learner that I am, I quickly got online and took a test, which said that I was a three. So I walked around in the world as a mistyped three for a couple of years, but not really knowing what that meant. There were aspects of it. I remember at the time too, that I took this test and then I read the nine types and I remember seeing some of myself in the three, but I remember when I read the seven feeling like, oh, now like that sounds interesting. And so it was always back there ruminating and I've thought, you know, thought a lot about that. And actually uh, over the last year, I have gone through two 12 week Enneagram courses with friends and ladies that I have a just ton of respect for and admiration for. And so it gave me a chance over the last year to really go a lot deeper. And, and it has been transformational to me as, as a wife, as a mother, as a leader in all aspects of my life, I feel like I'm uncovering things in a new way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that, that makes so much sense to me too. I think it's really affected all aspects of my life as well. I don't know if you know this, but I was mistyped as a three as well. Oh, so really? on the and, test came uh -huh. back as a three. It's why I'm not an advocate for tests, to be honest. So, yeah. um, I think that they can steer us in the wrong direction. I honestly think that in the U S and especially with high achieving people, um, I think the U S culture is very three-like. Mm -hmm. goal-oriented hustle, busy, 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 you know? And so it kind of matches that. And so I think that's part of the reason why I see so many people mistype as a three. Sure. I have perfectionist tendencies, right? Well, yeah. And so it just like, it makes sense to me that, you know, high achievers would test as a three. That doesn't mean that's who they truly are. They've sort of just adapted to the culture we live in. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. with this kind of hustle mentality, we're, we're busier than ever. And that equals productivity, which we know doesn't always equal productivity. So, right. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, and now, and now that I've explored the, one of the things about the Enneagram that I really like is just this idea of you're not going to solve your number with your number. And so really tapping into the energy of the other numbers and as I've explored them, of course, there are aspects of myself that align with the energy of each of those. And I can choose in the moment what's going to be most helpful right now. Like that has that just empowering perspective around the model has been so helpful for me. Like yes. I, I feel like this needs some eight energy. Like I need to be really decisive and bold in my conviction right now. Or 
like this needs some five energy. I really need to take a step back and do some analysis and be thoughtful and think about this before I react. Like I need to be really critical about my response. Yes. Thank you for saying that because that is the right way to use the Enneagram. So we can often get stuck in our type and sort of over-identify with that type. Mm -hmm. And when I find leaders and, and uh, even clients that are more integrated around all of the types, because we technically have a little bit of each one of these types in us, we just have chosen one that's more dominant, which usually is not really working that well for us in adulthood. You know, we kind of landed (laughs) on this thing in childhood and then we're like, well, we'll just use that in adulthood. And then suddenly we wake up one day and realize this is not working for me anymore. Yeah. It's like anything in excess, right? I mean, we, and we know that like anything in excess. So it's leveraging the strength and being aware of the darker side and particularly when that darker side starts to pop up, like that's where I try to be intentional about like, okay, what's really needed right here based on the situation and my goal and all of those things. Yes. So great point. So I want to pick a little bit more about the work aspects and then we'll also get into the personal aspects. So tell me how professionally, you know, you mentioned that intentionality, that's a huge part of what you do both personally and professionally, but just tell me more about how it's shaped you as a leader? How do you, Mm. how do you think the Enneagram specifically can be used in leadership? Well, so we lead from the essence of who we are as a person. So you can't really separate your leadership from your life, right? That's very much how I look at it. Um, so I run a business. We, there is a small team, small, but mighty team of HR and talent professionals really on a mission to elevate the entire employee experience. So I've got recruiters on my team and coaches and facilitators and, Given the talent needs of the organization, we come alongside and help them solve those challenges. And we did, we are not surprisingly, you know, the teams that I have always led throughout my career, I love bringing people together and teams together and, you know, have always been such a natural networker and connector. So not surprisingly, like the teams that I've led, and I know flowing out of who I am as a person the teams I've led have always been close. There's always a lot of cohesion and I work hard to inspire a shared vision and rally the troops around that. And so there's typically a lot of connectedness. And that's the case with my current team at HRD. And at the beginning of last year, we did this interesting exercise where I put flip charts around the room. I wanted everyone to be reminded of the strength and the value that they brought to the team because we're different in different ways different experiences, different backgrounds, different ways of looking at the world. And so I put flip charts around the room and I put everyone's name on a different flip chart paper. And then I gave everyone markers and said, I just want you to get up and just do a gallery walk and just walk around the room. And as you think about what each of your team members brings to this team, like just write it, like no holds barred, just like let your imagination go, like whatever, whatever comes up for you, like write that word down. And so it was just so great. And it really helped to capture that essence of each person. And I still have that, that that flip chart paper hanging in my wall because it, it was just such a reminder for me of those natural strengths that I'm never going to have to try to be, that I will always just bring naturally. So not surprising. There were words like positive and energetic and inspiring and connected and cares a lot, passionate, fun, you know, and and those are, if you look at the Enneagram seven, of course you see those descriptors. And so I, you know, at this point in my career, I'm going to turn 46 in a couple of weeks and I've really been like stepping into the maturity 
of, of that. Like I've, I have been so fortunate to lead teams for 20 years. And so I am up for this next level of leadership. You know, it's, it's, it is intentionality time because I, I have done the work and I know what's helpful and what's hurtful. And I've got lots of examples of both throughout my career. So now is the time to really execute on those things that work well and to tweak and shift the things that haven't been helpful. Because I, I know that those patterns have been hurtful and detrimental. And so shame on me if I'm not courageous enough to do something different going forward. Mm, I think courageous is the right word. I love that. So yeah. And you've mentioned that word intentional. Is that your word of 2021 or did so, you choose a word? Well, I chose the word savor actually in ah. the, I mentioned the 12 week Enneagram classes I went through. I did, did it twice in the second round. My friend Ruth was talking about her husband, who's a seven. And she, she said that she had been encouraging him to really savor his experiences. And it so resonated with me, you know, so as I looked at my goals for the year, um, my husband and I have a very pretty intense visioning process that we go through every year. And as I was looking at both the long-term vision and my 2021 goals, that word just come, just came up for me. Cause it's a lot around like going deeper, like really leveraging the depth of my relationships with our clients um, moving those forward and evolving those because of the relationship and focusing on the relationships that really give me energy and going deeper with those. And, and even with my health goals, it's like, slow down, take time to exercise, slow down as you're eating to really enjoy the food and savor all of your experiences. So my word yeah. is savor. It's, I think it's I a good one for, that. don't you think it's a good one for a seven, right? Oh, it's a fantastic word for a seven. You know, I've mentioned to you before I'm married to a seven. So sometimes I'm like, just stop and smell the roses, you know, <laughs> so savor the roses. So yeah. And, so he, I and think he's that's like, no, I'm looking forward to the roses coming up. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, I've got other plans. I've moved on. So I, <laughs> right. I already bypassed the roses. So, like, so yeah, I, I think that's a really great word. And I'm, I would be like, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from not just leaders, but just in general, just from the year we came off of in 2020, how many people are pausing to side sort of like go deeper and kind of blow, blow things up a little bit, you know, like, yeah. like status yeah. quo is no longer going to work for us. Mm-hmm. I'm walking right alongside with you on that. So I, I yeah. totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the real advantages of coming out of a year like 2020 is the opportunities that exist. I mean, there isn't a playbook right now. We get to create the new and what it will look like going forward. So that's really exciting. It's very seven of me. Yes. I I love the optimism. So I'm actually kind of curious about, you know, you mentioned the natural gifts and talents and sometimes you know, excess or overuse of anything can be a bad thing. Yeah. Have you ever gotten into trouble with being too positive? being overly positive? Well, so the good news is, is this is something I've recognized about myself for a long time. Um, Early in my career, I mean, maybe like two years right out of graduate school, I had a phenomenal mentor that taught me so much. And he got me in front of our executive team. I had been, there was a change management initiative that I was helping to lead within our global organization. And so I had literally been on the road training this change management program for weeks. And he brought me in to talk about the value with our executive team. And so not surprising, like in true Andrea fashion, right? Here I am in front of the telling stories about 
how great it is and how it's uplifting people and the impact on the people and just, you know, good thing after good thing. And one of the questions was, well, what's not working well? And I, I couldn't answer it. Right. Because I, of course I hadn't thought that way. And so he immediately like kind of pulled me aside, you know, after that and talked about like, you know, your optimism will serve you well. And when you couple it with healthy, healthy skepticism, it's going to be even more powerful. So I'm so fortunate for I me. Mean, it's just a, like, that's the value of mentoring, right? That's why when people like that, that are willing to point those things out. Cause I, I'd always relied on my optimism. And for me, I think here's, here's the thing. So if, if you're a seven leader, here's the thing for me over the last few years is I love the experience. And once I realized that I wasn't getting the full experience or leveraging the full experience by skirting over the negative, it really shifted my perspective around the negative. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost like it's not even negative. It's, it just is. Yeah. And yeah. it is, it is the experience and the experience can, can be so much more connected and so full when we recognize all aspects of it. Yeah. And so I, I, I think of it as like really maximizing the experience. And so that encourages me and gives me, gives me the, the real, um, the real focus of just going deeper and really getting to the heart of what's going on. And because I, that, that as a seven, I appreciate, I, I want to experience it to its full. Yeah. I'm kind of curious if you have uh, surrounded yourself with people that sort of can kind of balance that out in you. So maybe they have that more skepticism. Um, so a six, for example, so when I, yeah, yeah. So when I see like a really optimistic leader having a, a second in command that maybe is, you know, a little more of a skeptic and doesn't always have those rose colored glasses on can be so beneficial. You can balance each other out in such a yeah. nice way. Yeah. My, so this next gen talent is a perfect example of that. Um, my friend, Kelly Lavin, who's the chief HR officer at Jobvite, she, um, she and I co-founded and co-developed and are co-leading this program together. And we're in year three of the program. And had, had I done that on my own, I don't think I would have anyways, but no, we wouldn't be near where we are, you know, because she, yeah. And I, I so love, particularly when there's a shared value set and there's share alignment around vision and where we're going, like co-creating with someone who has such a different lens because they'll bring things to the conversation and to whatever it is you're creating that you never would have thought of. Yeah. So it can be, it can be so much better. You know, I, I, from, from the day we started having conversations about this program, I was dreaming about 10 years out and conferences and she'd be like, okay, but like today we need to <laughs> like, let's think real practically about like slow down Andrea. Yeah. And so it's like this push and pull that, and there's always like a little bit of tension, but I don't mean tension in a, in a negative. Cause it's not, it's, it's like this healthy uh, difference that's so valuable to the ultimate creation that I just, I just love. So I think, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, leaders don't go it alone, you know? And so no, we need yeah. that's, and that's the, again, back to the whole, like leveraging the energy of each of those numbers. There's so much good there. And so tapping into that and leveraging that on the team is for the benefit of all. So I so believe that. And I so see that. Yeah. And I think the fascinating thing with the Enneagram is that nobody around you has to even know it. 
if you know it really well, you can apply it to other people. You can apply it to yourself. You can apply it to a team. It's, It's just so interesting um, you know, I've seen some companies that are starting to have people take an Enneagram assessment and then they hire based on that number, which I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the appropriate use of the tool. You and I just described how we were both mistyped as threes. Yep. So that, that would be, you know, who they thought they were getting, but that is not who I essentially am. And so, um, I think it's really important for us to not use this as a prescription, but to use it as information, but also always being very aware of the fact that we are all unique individuals and we all come with all of our stuff and experiences Mm. and that does not boil down to nine types. So, Mm. so being sure to not disconnect the humanity from, from this tool. It's a piece of information. It is not the end all be all for yeah. sure. Well, and that's one of the challenges with all talent processes is we try to, we try to create them in a way that's very black and black and white when life is not like that, you know, yeah. it's messy and there's all shades of gray. And so creating a process that allows for that flexibility is, is so important. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's co- kind of oh, go, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to sure add a, have something great to say. Well, so just to, cause you make such a good point about like positively spinning out of control. Like that's, I think for seven leaders that I've worked with and certainly in my own experiences, I think that's just like a, a huge watch out for, you know, mm-hmm. there's, um, I, I could tell you story after story, Rachel of in my career, like rolling something out to the team and just being like bewildered by others lack of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I tend to be so enthusiastic and so passionate and so one of the things that has really been helpful to me is to like just just let others have their their reaction. Like who am I to say how they're going to react and by engaging people early in the process, I can ensure that I'm rolling things out in a way that people do feel connected to it and are aligned with it. And I've learned to really leverage the relationships since naturally the relationships and the connection are important to me. Um, and so in that, like if, if I know where people's heads are, heads are at, I can position things as I'm rolling, th- rolling them out as here are the good things. And then here are the not so good things, like always balancing back to that, always balancing the positive with some healthy skepticism and, what could go wrong and just that other perspective. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the team is, you know, getting that insight. I think for a seven, you know, they can, they have, they, they dream big, like they've got big ideas and they're, they're ready to roll with them immediately. And so sometimes that can sort of turn the team off, you know, especially if you get those, you know, like maybe like a six or a five, who's like, wait a minute, have you dug into all of the, all of the data and all the information to really make this great decision, you know? So, so I think, I think that's a great point. And that's why we have teams, which is why I love teams is because we have, we, we, we need to listen to those people for sure. And sometimes pump the brakes in some (laughs) circumstances. Well, and at one point in my career, I worked with a leader who I always called my dream crusher. Cause I felt like every time I came to him with something, it was like, Nope, here's why you can't do that. That won't work. And so now I like, I, I reframe that differently. Like you're not, you're not crushing my dreams. You're just, you're helping me to think about all of the aspects of it, right? You're helping me to strengthen my dream in some ways. 
Oh, that's such good guidance, especially for younger sevens mm-hmm. or younger people who would call themselves the optimists and, you know, rose colored yeah. glasses all the time. I also relate to that as a nine. That's such good insight. It's not personal. This yeah. person is actually trying to really balance yeah. out your enthusiasm and optimism. So yes, yeah. yes. So it's so yeah. thank you for the feedback. How can I use that to strengthen yes. what I'm creating? That's the mindset. Yes. Oh, that's Did so you good. know that Peter Pan was a seven? Well, that sounds right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. I, Doesn't it? I personally have not done a typing interview with Peter Pan, so I did not know that, <laughs> but that really makes a lot of sense to me. So the yeah. free spirited, yeah, yep. can fly, never grows up, mischievous. Yes. Very, very much seven. So I often Absolutely. think when I'm in Peter Pan mode, like, okay, when do I need to like come back down to ground? be a little bit more practical, be a bit mature, more mature around what we're thinking about. So that, that Peter Pan analogy has been helpful. Oh, I love that. No, no, I can't stop thinking of that. I just pictured my husband as Peter Pan flying around. So I joked <laughs> yeah. before we had children. I'm like, this is going to be easy because right. I'm married to a large child. So it's like, uh-huh. and not saying like, he's a very responsible man. It's more just like, he helps me learn to have more fun, <laughs> kind of loosen up, you know, like, it's just like, yes. it is very like, like, give me some pixie dust and I'll be ready to go. So, yep. yeah. So there's a lot, so of, there's a lot of energy. Let's shift a little bit into personal life. So I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. if you're, you know, kind of willing to share with the listeners how this has impacted your personal life. I know you have a daughter in college and she's yes. at an age where you can start to understand, you know, she can start to understand, you know, who she is and kind of her personality yeah. style. And then um, in marriage, you know, I think it's a huge uh, tool for a married couple. I know I've experienced that. So I'm kind of curious your experience. Yeah. Yeah. So my husband is an Enneagram eight. And, uh, I think that can be like a really, that eight, seven combo can be awesome and bold and big, but I think those personalities can also like crash hard into each other. <laughs> yeah. And you're both, you're both willing to take risks. Like you'll right. just take risks. Oh, like you yeah. don't, you don't have that balance of like, oh. Hey, slow, slow down, Andrea. Yeah. Oh, can't do that. Yeah. Here's why. So yeah. 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 And, and that, that was, I think our initial and continues, continues to be like such a strength of our relationship is we love adventuring together. We love, we yeah. you know we've done triathlons and races and 14ers and ski excursions. And like, we let, we are both such explorers and yeah, not, not, not afraid to just give it a try. Like, why not? What's the worst that could happen? kind of an attitude. So we, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun, but it's, but I mean, I used the word intense earlier. I was, I was telling somebody over the weekend about our visioning process and how I'm like, yeah, we took the entire day and, you know, we went through our long-term vision and then each of us shared our goals and really challenged each other and enhanced those. And she was like, that sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I actually tried to get my husband to do this on date night. Uh, the, actually what, what you sent me. So the, the whole, you know, framework Mm. that you have around that. And he was kind of like, that's what we're going to do on our date night. So I think I got the same reaction from my seven husband, which was interesting. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's funny. So you never know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get a lot of energy from it and it's really good for us, but it's, yeah, it's not for everyone. So it's good. You know, we, we both are moving so quickly. So for both of us, it's with our kids, just being intentional and slowing down and meeting them where they are more. 
my daughter, so you mentioned Mason, who's a freshman at IU. She's, um, she's experienced some, some pretty significant trauma over the last year, in addition to all of the COVID and pandemic and school stuff, cancelings and shifting the way things work. And it's been, you know, my, as a, as a seven, you know, the, the essence of my spirit is like, it's all going to work out. Like life is made to work out. Like things are good. We're okay. And in her really dark moments, those words fall flat. That's not what she needs to hear, you know? So I've really had to, um, just pull in other energy and sit with her and, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of moments over the last several months where we have just sat and cried with each other. And it has shown me just the healing in that, the connection in that, like not having to fix or solve or positive my way through it, that I can just like, let it suck really bad right now. And as painful as that has been, I've seen the growth and the connection that's come from that. So I'm so grateful to have had that. I think what you just described is really just empathy. You know, I think we all have, no matter what the Enneagram type we identify with, um, we have all, we all have some opportunity to, to become true empaths, right. And not try to fix, cause that's the opposite of empathy when we're like, I know, I know what you should do. And sometimes yeah. you're right. We just have to sit in those moments and that's true in leadership. You know, I think sometimes we think when we're a leader that we have to fix everything and sometimes things just aren't fixable and we just need to listen um, and then learn how to move forward, right? We can't stay in that space forever, but kind of, you know, just being able to say, you know what, this sucks. I'm going to sit here with you. I think you posted on LinkedIn recently. Was it something about embrace the suck or embrace the hard? Yeah. 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 So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know why that would have spoke to you. And oh yeah. yeah, that has been a big, a big lesson to me throughout, throughout 2020, you know, cause, cause I, I naturally I have like seen the advantages and I, you know, I am a master reframer. Like y- y- you get, y- you know how, like sometimes when like getting to know people are in those icebreaker kinds of things, like you'll be asked to share like a challenge from your past or something that taught you a lot. Or, um, e- even if somebody would ask about, you know, like a tragedy you've experienced in your life. Like I always struggle to answer those questions because any of those like bad air quote things I have reframed as like my divorce is a great example. You know, I I very quickly like made that a good thing. Like my, when, when we went, even when we went to counseling, like my goal was to like get him okay with it so that we could create like a good scenario and yeah. my, my heart was in the right place. You know, we, we had a daughter and I wanted to co-parent. He's such a good guy and we're, and we're such good friends and we've done a good job, but I have always reframed that as an opportunity and a good thing. And, and so, you know, going back to 2020, like when so many people were dealing with such hardships, like that's not the time to like bring on the bright side. Like, let yes. me let me sit in the suck for a minute. Yeah. That's, that's, and it, it's physically painful for me, Rachel. It is physically painful. And so it's been good to, it's, it's been good to grow through that because I know there's, I know that there's value in that. I will tell you though. I mean, I don't, I don't know. 
I, so I've always been, I've always had very much a, an abundance mindset and my faith, you know, in my faith, I've always gravitated to just messages around like, you know, um, thinking about putting out good thoughts and good words and because that's what you're creating. And, mm -hmm. and so I've always been very purposeful about the things that I think, the things that I say, like I, I would never say anything negative about anybody else because how's that going to be helpful. Right. So right. always been really intentional about that. And I think for a long time, I thought, you know what, if I'm like sitting in this, in the suck, it's creating more of that. You know, I, there was a bit of a fear around, gosh, you, if, if I'm, if I'm thinking about sucky things or bad things, like I'm going to get more of that. And I, and I, what I'm, what I'm coming to is in those moments of suck, like I can be grateful for the experience, right? I, I'm not sitting there dwelling upon the suckiness. Like as I'm sitting there crying with my daughter, like I'm grateful that I'm connecting with my daughter, like yes. that's, that's the value, right? Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've, I'm learning to let go of fear around like sitting in the pain instead, just let myself experience it because it creates greater connection with people that I love. Yes. One of my favorite quotes that came to mind is from Byron Katie. And she says, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. optional. And it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it makes so much sense to me. So, and I, so two sevens and nines kind of live in that positive outlook group. Yeah. So we are the rose colored glasses. Like we can reframe, like I, I have lived in that space as well. Um, I also had a personal experience that was tragic. You know, I lost a daughter to stillbirth five years ago. It was tragic. And I had to learn how to sit in the suck. I sat in the suck for a long time and I tried to reframe to the positive. So I tried to bypass that because that was sort of my natural instinct to do that did not work. So I just decided, all right, I'm just going to sit in the pain, but I wasn't going to let myself suffer forever. Mm -hmm. So, so I had knew I had to sit in the pain and get through that grieving process. I still grieve to this day. It never ends. You know, I don't think it it's like, ends. you don't get to check the boxes and be done, you yeah. know? And that could be true of divorce. You know, there's so many things that we grieve. I think many of us grieved the yeah. last year we had, you know, so, so being able to sit with that, gosh, what a life lesson. And the thing that I say, which, you know, reminded me of this, I say all the time, that was the worst and best thing that ever happened to me, Yeah, oh. which is hard to think of, yeah. but you know, it's hard to say yeah. that that was the best thing. But when I look at who I am today, and where I was five years ago, I mean, I wouldn't be the same person. I learned that doing, uh, things that I perceived as hard, those weren't hard things like yeah. that was hard. Yeah. So that bar was really high for what is hard. So that sort of just unleashed me where I'm like, nothing's nothing can suck worse than that. You know? So, so I can do hard things. And mm. that really, really wow. catapulted me and my career. I mean, I'm a different person than I was five years because ago. of that because of that experience. Well, and I love the paradox of it's the best and it's the worst. Cause I think, so for me as a seven, you know, I I'm, I'm comfortable with the happy emotions. So like this side of that continuum. And so that, that the negative can coexist with the positive that, oh, I, it doesn't have to be like either or it can be. And also it can be good and bad. Yes. Yes. I that's think so, that's, that's there's, so so, there's something powerful in that again, like the fullness of, of the experience. When we took Mason to college 
it was uh, her dad and my husband and I dropped her off and we got into the elevator and I'm just, you know, a mess. I'm sobbing and, and they're like talking about tennis or something. And I'm, so I looked at them and I'm like, what, what is up with you guys? And they were like, yeah, like we're dropping off at college. And, and I, so I I was like, okay, well, they're not going to be helpful right now. (laughs) Yes. But, but I was thinking like, okay, I am so sad because she is my everything and I'm leaving her here. And right next to that, it is her time to shine, to go, to do big things. And I remember feeling both of those. And I, I will never forget that feeling, that fullness, that wholeness, all of it right next to each other. Yes. Yeah. It can suck and be great all at the same time. I think that can be great. It can suck and be great. Yeah. That's good. Oh, that's so good. And we vacillate back and forth, right. Between the suck and the good. Oh, for sure. But I love, I think, I think our world could benefit from a little more gray thinking, you know, versus Mm. this sort of black Mm. and white. Yeah. In the middle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even right now, you know, I, I get really frustrated when I, when I see like polarizing language about like the, the liberal left or the rigid right, or like what, why do we have to go to such extremes? Like, I think there's probably a lot more of us that are somewhere in the middle, like a combination of all those things. Like it's just not helpful to do that. To do that. Couldn't agree more. And like you said, it's just polarizing. So couldn't yeah. agree more. And it's interesting because most of the people I talk to kind of do fall in some hue of gray, you know, yes, maybe lighter course. or darker color of gray than I'm at, but you know, it's somewhere in the middle. It's not yes. extreme. And I think that's true in leadership. Like when yeah. you come at things in an extreme way or black and white thinking, that's going to get you into trouble all day long. You're going to alienate people. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to connect with people. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts or words of wisdom around the Enneagram, if you were advising, let's say somebody in their twenties, so maybe somebody in like the next gen talent group, how would you Mm. go about discovering your Enneagram type now that you know so much about it and kind of walked through that journey? What would you advise them on? Yeah, I think it's uh, paying attention with, with no judgment, you know, just paying attention to patterns and tensions that pop up for you and frustrations that pop up. There's so much insight in those when we look at the patterns, because what I, what I have learned is when I take the time to do that reflection, it's like, oh, there's, there's themes around what was motivating me in those situations. Like, oh, wow. I was fearful because of my own feelings of inadequacy. It really had nothing to do with that person. You know, it's, so it's very empowering. I, I so believe that, you know, I think we are all walking around as the lead character in our own story. And so (laughs) our stories keep bumping up against each other. And so just like, just be your character and let others be theirs, you know, play. I I talk a lot about like, play your game. Other people are playing their own game. So I, it's, it's been really helpful for me. It, It keeps me from like judging and comparing myself. It just, it frees me up to celebrate the things that other people are doing and to let go of the things that people are doing that I don't understand or don't agree with. So so my, my mom, my mom always said growing up like 10, Andrea, tend your garden. And I think Ah, that's such a good example. Like when I would say like, well, Jennifer and Kenna didn't, didn't invite me to hang out or tend your garden. Like they've got theirs. 
such good advice. I always say, keep your eyes on your own paper. So that's my yes. favorite thing to say to clients. I'm like, well, oh, whose, business, or whose business are you in when you're judging that person? And they're like, well, their business, like whose business right. do you want to be in? Well, mine, I'm spending Play a lot game. of time and energy on someone else's business or someone else's garden. So yes. great. Their garden looks gorgeous. Yours has weeds. <laughs> Yours needs de-weeded and it needs all the things, some fertilizer, all of it. So it's such a good, what a, what a, and I've met your mom. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that's right. You have. She, uh, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me coming from her. So yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Well, and what a great example of someone who's tending her garden. You know, she's 74 years old and rocking a couple of network marketing businesses and leading a women's club and doing artwork. I mean, she's, yeah, she just, she's living her best life. <laughs> so great. And you brought up the like, kind of depersonalization of other people's behaviors towards you. And yes. I think for, for me, the Enneagram taught me most about that. So yeah, I used to so be, good. you know, when somebody was aggressive, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, they're mad at me. They're upset with me. And when I just learned that that's just their way to show up in the world, and so it's from a different motivation than mine is. That's okay. You know, that's okay. Right. So it just depersonalized so much for me. And it was like, nobody has time to be thinking about you and judging you all day long. And if they do, right. those are not your people, you right. know, like most people have their own crap they're dealing with. Let them deal with their crap and just understand that most things are not a personal attack on you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's all learning, isn't it? So yes. if I felt attacked in the moment, I can take time to think about why was that? Why? and grow through that yeah. versus like calling somebody up and jumping into victim mode. I think that's right. the, that's the thing to avoid, right? Whenever you find yourself like complaining about somebody, what somebody else is doing, like, Oh, it's yeah. like somebody wave the flag, the red flag, like eh, right. we're getting off course yes. here. Cause that's just wasted time and wasted energy. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. always like some part of us that's accountable for some piece of that interaction, you know? It's so, like when always. we can step back and say, where was always. my part in this story? And how yes. did I, and how am I creating a perceived story around this that may not yes. be fully reality? Cause we all do that. Isn't we that all, true? we all perceive things differently. So then we have our story. It's like, I'll tell my mom something from childhood and she's like, what? That's not how that went down. And I'm like, it didn't, you know? So then she yeah. tells me, I mean, I was like maybe 10, like, I didn't know all the details. My brain couldn't fully understand what was happening. And she's like, that is not what happened, Rachel. And I'm like, it's not, you know? So, so yeah. it's just fascinating. You, we, we, we make do- shit up. Totally. And we do we it as adults. Shit up. We Which do is it as why, adults. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Like always to challenge ourselves. Like, is yes. that actually true? Do yeah. I know that for sure? Yes. Like, really checking ourselves, checking those assumptions. Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, this is awesome. So well, yeah. So yeah. isn't this fun though? I mean, we're, we're just doing the best we can with what we have, where we are. Right. I mean, that's, I so yeah. see that in the work that you're doing. i I think that's why I so connect with the work you're doing is the spirit behind it feels, feels really good to me. I can very much relate to how you approach your work. Same to you. And yeah, I know you and I have done a lot of work on ourselves, but this work's never going to be done. We still have a long way to go and it's going to be a lifetime. Isn't that exciting? It's exciting to me too. I know. I think, cause I think about it's the Maya Angelou. I've ever heard someone, oh, I think it was Oprah one time asked her like, what was your favorite decade? And she was in her 80s at the time. This was maybe a couple of years before she passed. And uh, the, the, the interviewer said, like, it was probably like your 40s, right? Women like love their 40s. And she was like, yeah, my 40s were good. And 
she's like, but you know, my fifties were great. And my sixties were great. And she was like, and gosh, like my seventies, she was like, but I got to tell you like my eighties, like that's where it's at. And I just, I freaking love that story because it was such a reminder of just growth and wherever you are, like, that's where you are. Like, I think, I think about myself 20 years ago and there, there were so many good things and I give, I just give her all the love and encouragement she needs because man, she was doing her best, but the, the potential and the growth and just how different I am today. And so that's exciting to think about 20 years, like when I'm 66, oh my gosh. And then when I'm 86, you know, just the opportunity to love people and lift people up and yeah. yeah, I'm super excited totally about that. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. I hit 40 in a few months and I think that's exactly <gasps> why I'm not nervous at all about hitting 40 or I'm not mm-hmm. sad about it. I'm like, bring it on, like bring yeah. it on a new decade of learning. When I reflect right. back at the, my early thirties and where I was then and where I am yeah. now, it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see what forties I love that for me. Isn't so, that so yeah. good? My, uh, yeah. my colleague, Amanda Aresses, who I just adore, she always says, do you want to be the best or your best? Yes. And that's such, that's so good for age and birthdays. And uh, yeah, 46, like I'm going to be the best 46 year old version of myself I can possibly be. I believe you. I 100% believe you. And then same thing for 47, 48, 49. I love it. It's, It's exciting to see, to see how life will unfold. I believe in life. I believe that life is working with us and there's a symbiotic relationship with life and call it universe, God, you know, source energy, like whatever you want to call it. Like we can all feel that. And I trust it. You like, I trust it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. I don't know anybody who couldn't or could be around you and not just like absorb your energy, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but even just behind a screen, I have so much energy. I mean, my body is almost like pulsing. Like, it's just like, I have a ton of energy. So I love that you put that in the world. And I just love everything you had to say today, all your leadership lessons, your life lessons. You are a special Mm. person Mm. in the world. And I'm so glad that you and I have connected. Right back at you, my friend. I so appreciate you. Thanks for this platform and this forum. You're doing such great work. Oh, I appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. I just know it. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye.